Hey guys and gals, we're your hosts, Mackenzie and Sierra, and you're listening to the Girls Gone Gab podcast. Buckle up because we're about to get gabbing. Well, hello. Let's just get right into it. Um, It is now September, the best month of the year, aka the month that I was um, blessed into this world. And the celebration is about to begin. (laughs) I don't think we've ever had a more you intro ever. This is, I mean, you're thriving, honestly. It's time. Well, it's because I'm in my element. It's September. The Virgo energy is out. And I'm ready to unleash. The stars um, have aligned. <laughs> Watch out. Everyone, this is the warning. This is your disclaimer before um, we get into the month of September, basically. <laughs> but no, honestly... It's it's crazy that we're already in September, and I just feel like I haven't been thinking about my birthday coming up, and now I'm trying to get plans together, and I feel like so much other crazy stuff is going on right now as well. Like, I don't know why this is at the top of my mind, but I was watching GMA this morning, and Carol Baskin is going to be on Dancing with the Stars. Oh my gosh, I saw that just recently. Like, I, I get like... um notifications from I think like e like yeah like email notifications and I saw that and I was like this is a joke right no I think it's actually going to be a really good season like I haven't watched Dancing with the Stars in a long time um and I'm like I'm already excited to watch our girl Caitlin Bristow on there um because we both listen to her podcast and obviously are big Bachelor fans but usually there's only, like, one or two, like, good people. And I guess everyone just, like, doesn't have anything to do in 2020 because they've got, like, a pretty stacked cast. They have Caitlin Bristow, um, Carol Baskin, just that alone, you know, <laughs> is – That's that alone moment. <laughs> should be a reason enough to watch. I know. Uh, my coworker, Jillian, today, she was like, I hope she dances to um, I Saw a Tiger – song i'm sure they're gonna like ham it up but they also have nelly the rapper really i have a list so this is all news to me i don't know every single one because i was just like listening while i was making breakfast but um nelly jesse metcalf from um john tucker must die which was like a big big childhood crush wow um and then i forget her name but the the cheer show on Netflix. Is it just called cheer? Yeah. It's called cheer. I... Is it the coach? The, the coach. Monica. Mm-hmm. Coach Monica. Monica. I just listened to um, this morning. Actually, I listened to um, Becca Tilly and Tanya Rad's um, podcast. Yeah. And they Becca interviewed um, uh, coach Monica. Sorry. And <laughs> I drew a blank there for a second. And uh, they were kind of talking about that. So that's exciting. Wow. Yeah. It'll be interesting. It's definitely like a wide mix. Um, yeah. So I'm I'm actually interested to tune in. The craziest part is like what if Carol Baskin makes it like really far to the end just because everyone wants to keep watching her like even if she sucks. And it's like the final two is Carol Baskin and somebody else. I know. Honestly, because 
isn't it? I mean, again, it's been so long since I've watched that. Is there a lot of like, like audience or like voter participation with that show, or is it it's fifty percent? It's fifty fifty. So like fifty percent your score from the judges and fifty percent the votes at home. As far as so I know, unless possible. I checked. So it's very possible that she could be horrible, but like make it to the end. Yeah, which like everyone <laughs> thinks she killed her husband, but react that we can't look away from kind of thing exactly <laughs> i don't really know but yeah so that's wild it's september we've now dived into the world of love island and we're actually like recording this right before love island comes on so we're kind of i know like, we gotta make this quick because we're pressed rest for time okay this is this is a commitment okay if you aren't looking for a commitment Loveland yeah. is not for you. It is like almost every single day of the week. <laughs> I know, but I'm so here for it. People think I'm nuts for watching The Bachelor for two hours a week. And now I'm like dedicating seven plus hours a week to Love Island. And I I really hadn't watched it before. I got into like one season of like Love Island Australia that you'd kind of gotten me on to. Yeah, last which, honestly, year. I'm sorry because that's not it like the love Love island Island, australia was much like i don't want to say trashier i'm not trying to like call it out or like demean anyone's choices but like it was more of kind of like a hookup show and i was like "Eh, i'm not really into this but the u.s one is a lot different in my opinion maybe it's just this season but if you're looking for like pure entertainment and you've never seen a love island ever in your life i highly suggest watching the uk ones which i believe are like where it I think that's where it originated but like yeah. those I mean you can hardly understand people I know but they're so <laughs> funny I mean those are really good I d- I couldn't get all the way through Australia I just couldn't for some reason like you said it was just like too much I don't know I don't know how to explain it but I just wasn't like really feeling it but the US one I didn't watch last season I I watched it here and there but I didn't watch it all yeah. the way through like I, I don't know who won I didn't watch the finale or anything like that but I'm getting into it this time around yeah I'm like I, I just need something to look forward to at night <laughs> and <laughs> like something that's just like mind-numbing that's not everything that's going on in the world and so Love Island is it and I'm invested and it's getting juicy now with um, Connor and Mackenzie which were kind of my favorite couple to start but now there's there's kind of some tension and I don't really know how I feel about either of them but I think Connor's definitely the most attractive in my opinion guy yeah yeah there's just there's already been so many ups and downs and it's only been on for like a week a week (laughs) I'm like wow we've already been through like a roller coaster but how long does it last um I don't know because I've never watched one like while it's been on TV. I've only ever watched one like on Hulu or yeah. Yeah, on Hulu. So um I'm like, I am I committed know. for every day for the next six months, the next two weeks? <laughs> Definitely not six months. But I don't know. Like I don't know how long it's gonna air for. So hopefully it doesn't run into Bachelor time because then we'd have a problem. Yeah. That would be rough. Have you had anything like interesting happen this week? Um, 
Not really. I mean, nothing like crazy or that eventful. Um, but I've just been somehow going on a lot of dates lately. I like how you're like somehow. I, don't <laughs> somehow. Know how. I just like end up on them. It's like I am like tell them. And it's you're like, like somehow I'm just on dates. It's really weird. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> I don't know. I just, I like all of my friends and people around me are like, how do you go on so many <laughs> dates all the time? But like, that's just like, so actually not me that like, it feels so weird when people say that because like, I don't know. I just have not been that girl for so long. And like, I don't know. It's I'm when I say like, I'm not a supermodel, I'm not like oh my gosh, everyone compliment me. I'm like trying to be down on myself. Like, no, I'm pretty cool. But (laughs) I don't think I'm like a rock star that just like everyone's asking me on a date. But I don't know. I've ended up in a lot of situations in the past year. Um, And I like how you call them situations. Yeah, they're not, they're not relationships. Just a lot of dates, like a lot of first dates. And it's just been kind of like trial and error. Like, yeah, well, my my whole kind of attitude coming to a new city because I moved here about a year ago was just like much more open um, than I've been in the past. Like I was just so focused on school, like all the way up through my master's degree, not to like say I never went on dates or like anything, but I don't know. That was just my focus. And I also like had a much higher uh not standard but I was just more picky about like if I would even go on something and now I'm just like whether it's uh you know love connection or not like I'm just so open to like new experiences and meeting people and I can get along with or have a conversation with almost anyone and I just think like what do you have to lose you know I mean, that doesn't mean I'm, like, accepting every date or just swiping right on everyone by any <laughs> I'm still very patient. But that being said, like, if someone's, you know, generally attractive and, like, we have a decent conversation and they want to go on a date, then I'll go. Especially because, like, some people really want to, like, talk for a long time before they go on a date. And I get that. And I used to be, like, more like that. But now I'm just, like, I don't want to waste my time on anyone. <laughs> And I don't mean this in a mean way, but I just don't want to waste my time. Um, And so I really don't want to, like, text you forever and then, like, go on a date and realize it doesn't work in person. Because there's been so many dates before where, like, it works or, like, you know, we get along fine over text. And then, like, the second I see them in person, there's just, like, something missing and it just is off, you know? Yeah, I get that. Now, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's just kind of like, okay, let's get this over with. Let's... (laughs) See if there's something there. Yeah. I'll which know sounds- very quickly if there's not, and then we'll move on. <laughs> yeah, which sounds callous, but, like, really, I don't want to waste their time. I don't want to waste my time. Like, I'm open to new experiences and meeting new people, but I also have my own <laughs> life to live, and I don't want to be caught up with anyone that isn't worth my time. So, that being said, I've just been on a lot of random dates, and <laughs> I've been on... I want to say, no, like five or six in the past month and a half, Uh, somewhere around there. I don't have an exact number in my mind, (laughs) but about five or six. And most of them have been good. Um, 
the most interesting one, and I won't get into details, but I think he had lip fillers, and that was really <laughs> a I deal for when you sent me that. I was like, oh my God, um, like he's in the bathroom. I think he has lip fillers. And I do not mean to call this person out. Like I said, I'm not going to include any other details, but I just was like, no, no. Does he really have lip fillers? Can I just say that was like the most like cliffhanger response I've ever received <laughs> from you. I just see on your Instagram story that you're like s- sitting somewhere outside with like a glass of wine. And, like, I don't see any people in the picture, but I'm, like, clearly she's not out just, like, getting wine by herself. I mean, maybe you are, but, like, you're probably not. So I just remember, like, I replied to your Instagram story, and I was like, hey, are you on a date right now? And you were just like, LOL, yeah, I think he has lip fillers. And, like, that was it. (laughs) That was literally it. I was like, what? I know. I mean, you're as shocked as I am, or was, um... I don't know. Like, maybe he just has weird lips, but I did not obviously notice it or uh, suspect it from any of his photos um, online. And then in person, I was just like, that looks like lip fillers. And (laughs) like, okay, again, I just I I hate feeling like I'm being mean to people, but I'm really not trying to be. Um, And he'll never listen to this. But he had like thin lips naturally and they were just kind of like, I don't know what other word to use besides lumpy. (laughs) I know what you mean. Like the, like they were just uneven. Like the part where they meet is like kind of wavy. Is that what you mean? Kind of, but like, just like in different areas, it had different levels of volume to it. Like they're just like uneven. They're just uneven across the top and bottom. And maybe that's just his lips. But I think when you have – this is also based on no science and evidence. But I think <laughs> – I like to say that before I say anything that could get me into trouble. Um, but I think when you have, like, thinner lips, the more noticeable lip fillers are, you know? Like, if yeah. you have – if you're already working with a little bit of juice, it's less noticeable. And so I think he might have had thin lips and maybe, like, just tried out lip fillers and thought it wouldn't be a big deal. And then it was noticeable. Or maybe he just has weird lips. So that's really where my dating life is at. Um, Disclaimer. Disclaimer to anyone, male or female, if they're interested in any kind of facial, you know, reconstruction, Botox, fillers, like, all power to you but I think yeah what absolutely is getting at is she was just like taken back by it like oh that's yeah. different yeah like not that guys can't I just have never heard of one I wasn't expecting it I wasn't ready for it um, and it looked obvious apparently to you it looked yeah not yeah natural. yeah so it was just like it just threw me for a loop but you know you do you I'm all about it doing what you know whatever you want to do it's your body and your choice so anyways it's just been kind of a roller coaster of those um circumstances but nothing um too eventful has happened on any of the dates good or bad so yeah we're just chugging along these days chugging along aren't we all all right so we're gonna kick off the rest of this episode um, with our first official book club uh, episode. So this first time, our first go around, um, 
we are reading The Road Back to You, an Enneagram. Uh, what is it called? <laughs> what is it called? Um, it's called The Road Back to You, an Enneagram Journey to Self-Discovery. Okay, I almost said an Enneagram Road to Self-Discovery, so I kind of like knew what it was, but I was like going to butcher that. But anyway, yeah, it's by Ian Morgan Cron or Crone, not entirely sure how to say his name, and Suzanne Stabile. Not entirely sure how to say her. <laughs> We've already butchered her name and his name um, in previous episodes. But, um, yeah, so we're going to kind of just discuss and chat about the first three chapters of this book. Um, and just a little intro of the authors. Um, Ian, I'm just going to use their first names um, just for um, casual sake. Um, Ian is a best-selling author, nationally recognized speaker, Enneagram teacher, counselor, Dove award-winning songwriter, and Episcopal priest. Um, and he lives with his wife in Nashville, Tennessee. And then Suzanne is a highly sought-out speaker, teacher, internationally recognized Enneagram master teacher, and the author of The Path Between Us, uh, and along with her husband, Reverend Joseph um, she's also the co-founder of Life in the Trinity Ministry, which is a nonprofit, non-denominational ministry committed to the spiritual growth and formation of adults. And she lives in Dallas, Texas. So, um, the intro was really, what would, how would you describe like the intro or the first chapter was really just kind of, um, some background yeah, so the first chapter of the book is really um, the background and history of the Enneagram, which the authors kind of explain. It does have some Christian background to it, um, but also it has been, like, rejected by some church leaders, like Christian church leaders along the way. Um, and it also has some ties to other religions that are not Christianity as well. So um, by no means are they implying that the Enneagram is a part of Christianity. You know, like it's not in the Bible. It's not um, kind of like the crux of the religion by any means. But I guess they see it in in my perspective, it seems like they see it just as a tool to help you um, kind of in your life and spiritual journey overall. Yeah, it, it's basically a, a personality. Um, I don't I don't know if you would call it test, but it's a, a description of personalities. Um, that's essentially, like you said, um, a tool to kind of help you better understand yourself and more so to understand like your weaknesses I guess in a way mm -hmm. um, yeah which is interesting because I I honestly didn't really even know like what the Enneagram like what it even meant um, and I don't think I even heard of the Enneagram Enneagram until like a couple of years ago yeah um, it's it's definitely like a personality typing system but it's a little bit different um, than some others, which we'll get into a little bit more. But one quote that I enjoyed from the first chapter was from Brother Dave, who is basically an influential person in um, the author Ian's life, who kind of got him onto the Enneagram and helped explain it to him. And 
he says, or Ian quotes in the book, to know oneself is above all to know what one lacks. It is to measure oneself against truth, not the other way around. The first product of self-knowledge is humility. So that's kind of how they set up the book and really um, just kind of frame this as a tool to better understand yourself and not only understand um, your strengths, but to really have like an honest look at yourself and be able to see the whole picture of who you are, which includes um, some of the not so positive parts of yourself. Yeah, which that kind of leads us into a point that was made in chapter two, which to be honest, like I I have the audiobook version as we kind of discussed. And so I was listening to this mostly while I was getting ready in the mornings, um, which that's just like how I absorb information, you know, it's just by kind of hearing it. And one thing I was thinking of when listening to these first couple of chapters was um, just kind of how sometimes personality um, tests or groupings just kind of feel like they put you in this like stereotypical like category or box. And like, that's why I have a hard time like taking quizzes and stuff for stuff like this, because I'm like, well, how do they know? Like, you know, even before this, like several weeks ago, when we were talking about reading this book, I took an like a free Enneagram test like online. I, I took a couple um, because I wanted to know, you know, what I might be. And, you know, it was different each time. And so I was like, well, how do I know to trust this? Like, how do I, you know, I just didn't really understand it, how it works. But now that I've listened to these first couple of chapters, I realize that there's so many different, you know, infinite possibilities and variations of these types. And you really have to just kind of dive into each one and then just associate with whichever one like really fits you or one that like resonates with you the most. And so I guess once we start really digging in, like we can kind of determine that. But I just thought that was interesting because I always felt like it was just a little too like stereotypical. Um, But one thing that was said in the second chapter um, was that the Enneagram is not really designed to, to put you in a box, but rather to show you how to get out of that box, which I just thought was interesting. I think that was maybe not a direct quote, but it was something like that. I remember was said. Yeah. Um, I agree. Like a lot of the criticism or hesitancy towards personality typing or test tends to be, you know, how can there only be this many types of people in the world, which technically speaking with Enneagram there, I mean, there is a finite number of variations, but there's more than you think. Like there are the nine types, but as we'll get into in a little bit, um, you have the wings and your um, numbers that you like retreat to and security and stress. And so all of that kind of adds variation onto your number. So it's a little bit more than just nine straight numbers. Um, Yeah. It gives depth to each of the different types. Yeah. It's not as basic as it might seem on the surface. Um, But I don't know. I mean, that that's a big question. Like, are people really all the same or are they that unique? And I think on the, 
on the fundamental larger kind of belief systems and values and things like that that are behind a lot of our personalities nine doesn't seem that simple to me like to me that seems fairly believable like I mean everyone wants to believe they're unique in their own way and everyone is but you know someone can be I think you could have two ones Enneagram type ones that are very different people because they might have the same personality they might have the same motivations for why they do what they do but they could live very different lives. They could have different jobs, different interests, um, listen to different music, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, being being a type doesn't mean that you're the exact same, like down to the DNA as everyone else that's the same type or yeah. that everyone's so basic. But I just think on a fundamental level, um, we're all driven by similar things. And a quote from the book that I enjoyed in chapter two says each type or number has a distinct way of seeing the world and an underlying motivation that powerfully influences how that type thinks, feels, and behaves. So I think a lot of those underlying motivations are what, I mean, that seems like that's the driver um, behind the Enneagram types. And to me, that makes sense how that could be so common across all different types of people and cultures. Yeah, I agree. I like, cause see, I lean more on the opposite side of what you said there at the beginning when you were like, see nine, you know, that doesn't sound like a small number, you know, that sounds like vast, but to me, that sounds like too small, you know, I'm like, I, that sounds like the four in you coming out. Exactly. <laughs> that, that sounds like me exactly I'm like oh my I'm I'm totally unique there's no one like me ever on this earth like there's no way that I can fit into any of these categories because I am all of them all in one I'm like you you basic so I'm just like I was having a hard time being like no I don't understand like I feel like I relate to all of these you're not special (laughs) yes I am (laughs) Oh, I can't remember what he said. Like, maybe you'll remember. I didn't put it in my notes, but there was like a part when I was listening to it that Ian, uh, Ian actually reads it in my version. Like he is the narrator. And so he says um, something about how the Enneagram differs from other uh, personality tests, such as like the Myers-Briggs, because it just gives you a type and it just kind of says, this is who you are. And people might take that and run with it and be like, you know, have excuses and just be like, yeah, well, this is just kind of who I am. Whereas, like, you could be a jerk. <laughs> what if yeah. he, he says something about I wrote being down a jerk. the quote for it. I wrote down the quote for it. Let Did me you? find it. I was going to say, I thought that part was funny, but I don't remember exactly how he said it. It's actually in chapter. No, I guess it is in chapter three, um, which I was going to get into it in a little bit. But it says other personality typing systems are mostly exclusively psychological in nature. Um, Describing and encouraging you to be who you are isn't very helpful if who you are is a jerk. Yeah, (laughs) I was like, hopefully you'll have it, you know, readily available. But um, yeah, I just thought that part was funny because it's like, yeah, you're right. That is kind of not helpful. Um, whereas the Enneagram is supposedly supposed to show you like your dark side 
um, or the parts of you that like you probably don't love, but that you associate with. And this, this book is, you know, designed to kind of show you ways to overcome those. So it'll be interesting to dive in. I'll be interested to see how much, um, I guess, practical advice they will give for moving out of those zones, because I think it's one thing to say that you've, um, I guess, read these qualities about yourself or be, quote, self-aware, but it's a whole nother thing to put it into practice, because I almost think, and this Mm -hmm. is just me thinking out loud right now, um, a lot of the other personality typing systems out there focus on strengths versus weaknesses. Um, But there is some research out there on, and I can't like quote exactly because I don't have it, you know, readily available, but that whatever the personality um, trait is that we're most commonly associated with, especially when we're young, if we're commonly labeled as the jock or the smart kid or whatever it is, we tend to grow up into whatever that stereotype is because we've been told that's what we are our whole lives. Um, And I think that kind of applies with personality tests. If you're told that you're, uh, you know, a Myers-Briggs ESTJ or whatever it is, or you're a Clifton Strengths Finder, you know, woo, or whatever that test is, whatever that positive quality is, I think you can kind of embrace it and grow into it. So I definitely understand the point in this book that, hey, let's not only focus on our um, strengths here, but let's also focus on our weaknesses. But in the same turn, I think um, by focusing on weaknesses in this book, are we almost doing the opposite? Because those other personality tests don't really focus on weaknesses as much as this does. So in that regard, we're not growing into our um, weaknesses. We might be over inflating our ego on how great we are at those few qualities that they hype us up for, but we're also not fully understanding our flaws, which can be bad in a sense. But I almost wonder people that aren't truly motivated to take this information from the Enneagram and actually do the work of trying to like reverse some of those bad qualities, I think it could almost have a a reverse effect of like, okay, well, I'm really vain and fake. So like, that's just who I am. (laughs) Like, that's my type, you know, like, I'm trying. That's just my flaw. Sorry. Yeah. Like, that's my flaw. I know it. I'm trying to do better, but like, it's who I am. Exactly. So I see both sides. Yeah. I'm more interested to kind of understand more of like other people in my life and who they are, which obviously I'm like, I want to call out their flaws. (laughs) No, 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 no. So not that I want to like go around just like guessing what everyone's Enneagram is, but eventually like, I feel like maybe I'll have a, a, an inkling on what maybe some of the more influential people in my life are. And maybe this will help me understand what their, you know, weaknesses are and how to, like, interact with them in a more positive way. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm interested to, like, learn about that, too. Because as much as, you know, I, you know, want to learn about myself, like, 
learning about my weaknesses is not really something that I really want to dive into because that sounds like a really emotional type of process. And I'm like, how about let's not do that and let's just learn about everyone else's. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, we can, we'll get into that soon and that kind of whole weakness thing. But yeah, it's helpful for both, both to be more self-aware and um, also to learn about others. But before we, I guess, dive into the rest of the discussion, um, we'll kind of talk about what we think our types are. Now, I've heard from a lot of people that you can take the quizzes online, um, but they say, like, the best way to, like, know what you are is just to, like, read about all the different types and study it. So that's kind of what we're doing right now. But, of course, we haven't read through all of the types yet. But that being said... um, so this we is know. the precursor. Our, our opinions could change by the time we get through this book. So. Yeah, they could change, but I think we're pretty confident in what each of us are. So I am a type three, which is the performer. Um, and just the short description of that is someone who is success oriented, image conscious, and wired for productivity. And they are motivated by a need to be or appear to be successful and avoid failure and I um I think that I am a type four which is the romantic um it says that I am creative sensitive and moody um we are motivated by a need to be understood experience their oversized feelings and avoid being ordinary and one thing I did want to mention too is um since we kind of touched on like Myers-Briggs personality is that um, it's interesting that Mackenzie and I are type three and four because we're right next to each other, you know, on the, the whole system of the Enneagram, which is just kind of interesting. And we'll talk later about what that kind of means and looks like. But when I took the Myers-Briggs, like whenever I did that last I got um, ESFP, which in that system is the entertainer, which being like the performer. So I just think that's interesting. I just wanted to mention that. See, I think they're different. (laughs) Which I'm not saying they're the same thing, but like... I think the entertainer in the Myers-Briggs is, and I could be wrong. This is just like my interpretation, but like, I think my uh, Myers-Briggs fits me well and it's much more geared towards productivity. Like I have not read the full chapter on threes yet, so I'm not an expert on threes, but just knowing my own personality, we are like image conscious and care about what other people think and all that. But I think entertainers more like they have that artistic side that you have. Mm-hmm. Whereas threes, it's just a desire to be successful at the end of the day, to be approved, to be validated, to achieve. You know what I mean? So yeah. I think I guess that's like the the point that's kind of different about the two. Because in, um, in the Myers-Briggs, I know I'm an ESTJ. And I forget exactly what that makes me. Like, there's a word. Or yeah. For so, it. E, like, we're both ES, which would be mm-hmm. um, extroverted. Mm-hmm. And S, I think, is, like, sensing. Or, yeah. Um, yeah, it is. And then F, for me, is feeling, where I think your T would be thinking. Yeah. Um, and then P, um, I think that's, like, 
perspective maybe and Jay I'm not sure what I can't remember what the J is I want to say J is judging okay so mine's more like perceptive and yours is more logical yeah judgy you're judgmental you're like mine's like really artistic yours judgmental (laughs) like (laughs) you mean logical finding solutions (laughs) saving the day it I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it. But yeah, so I know they're they're not the same, but I just think yeah. it's interesting and just like the naming of them being as your Enneagram name is called the performer, which I just think is like an interesting title. And yeah. mine is the romantic. I'm like, ooh. Fancy. Yeah. So kind of getting into the uh, ins and outs of the Enneagram. Um diving further into it, they explain triads, which this is actually something I hadn't really heard about the Enneagram at all. I had heard about the wings. I hadn't fully understood the wings, but I hadn't even heard about the triads. So essentially each of the three numbers in each triad is driven in different ways by an emotion that's related to a part of the body known as the center of intelligence. And this, that's what the book says. <laughs> and that's, this is when it kind of gets into like woo woo nature for me and I'm like (laughs) my third eye shock or whatever I mean that's all I'm all for it if you know I support you if that's your thing but to me that's just when it gets illogical and I'm a logical person um I think you maybe are you just like hung up on the the way that they described it though because yeah they didn't describe it in depth so I'm interested to see if that comes up anymore in the book because the way that they say by an emotion related to a part of the body. Like the fact that, so the three different triads. sound very like holistic and. Yeah. Like that, like my big toe is controlling my personality. (laughs) And I'm like, I don't know about that. Don't give, don't give my big toe that much credit. Um, But really the three different areas or triads are the head, which is driven by fear And those are types eight, nine, and one fall into that um, triad. And then there's the heart, which is driven by feeling, which are um, the personality types two, three, and four. And then the third one is the gut, which is driven by anger. And that's types five, six, and seven. So those are kind of the triads. Again, they didn't really explain it in depth, so I don't have too much commentary on that. I think judging by this, though, supposedly, if we are correct, you and I are both heart um, centered. Yeah. So we are feelers as opposed to like people who are driven by fear or anger. So that's interesting. I'll take it. I'll take that. I know. I'm like, I'll take I'll take the heart any day. Yeah, I'm like, I'm not an emotional person, but I also don't want to be placed into the fear or anger category. So (laughs) I guess I'll go with feelings. Yeah. The next thing that they mentioned, though, are the wings, which is kind of something I briefly touched on. And um, these are the numbers that are on either side of your number. So for me, if I'm a four, it would be three and five. Um, And each person might lean more toward one or two, like one of the other um, numbers and kind of pick up some of its characteristics, um, energies and traits of those numbers as well. So um, I just thought that was interesting. So um, <clears throat> did you have anything else you wanted to say on wings? Say on wings? I don't think so. I 
I'm not 100% what my wings are yet, or what my wing, you only have one, I think, what my wing is yet, I would assume that it's four. Like, I just, the two is like the helper. Um, and the, I don't know. If, I don't know. I'm like, I know I it's hard to say because we, we don't really know. We don't know the twos yet. Yeah, we don't know the full scope of each one yet, but I would think probably more likely a four, but maybe not. Maybe a two. Um, I feel co- I feel very confident in my three. I feel unconfident in my wing right now. Mm-hmm. I think I'm pretty confidently a four wing three. I don't think I would go four wing five just I from think, what I saw, but I don't know. See, reading it, and I got to read more. This is a very quick gut decision. I think you might be four wing five. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I'm not going to speak on it. I'm not going to speak on it too soon because <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying yet. But I think. Well, we don't know what we're talking about. We never did this before. That might just be me being, like, defensive over my type. I'm like, you, you're you not like me. <laughs> you're like, no, you can't be mine. <laughs> it's my number. But, um, yeah, we'll see as we read more because the wings are a little blurry. Um, but something else that's interesting that I had heard a little bit about, but that kind of further adds to the confusion of it all if you're just getting started, <laughs> is the stress and security numbers. So... Essentially, whatever your um, core Enneagram number is, the book claims that that is your number for life. Like you're not changing numbers, um, but you do kind of adopt different qualities from different numbers at certain points. So you can wing one way or the other. And that seems to be like constant. Um, Like if I was a three wing two, those traits would be constant kind of like throughout life. Um, but then you also have stress and security numbers. So there's a number that you go to when you're in stress and a number that you go to when you're in security. So basically if you're in security, you're picking up the best qualities of that number, only the good parts of that number. Cause each number has both pros and cons. They're all equally, you know, on the same level playing field. It's not like one is great and one is awful. Um, So you pick up the good qualities of whatever your security number is when you're in security. And then when you're in stress, you pick up the negative qualities for that number. Um, So like for me, a three goes to a nine in stress, which I think is kind of like someone that's a peacemaker like that's kind of I forget the exact description for the nine um but yeah I think that's right I think it's peacemaker so that's the positive part but the negative part is like being passive or something of that nature I'm again the 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 external things aside from the core number are still blurry to me um and then I go to a six in security which I have that in front of me if you need um, to phone a friend. What um, is the six? Again? The six, six is the loyalist. Um, it says committed, practical, and witty. They are worst case scenario thinkers who are motivated by fear and the need for security. Yeah. So that makes sense. Like the, the positives of a six 
I think I am loyal. I'm obviously hilarious. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Hilarious the best. Um, And I think maybe the positive side of a six being like fearing the worst. Like I'm not a negative thinker. I'm not like a, the world is ending kind of person, but I always have a backup plan for everything. So I think, but you are very practical. Like you're like, okay, well, worst case scenario is blank. And if that's the case, then we'll just pivot and do this. Yeah. So I can see the positive qualities there. And then what about the nine? What's the description for the nine? Nine uh, is the peacemaker, which I I knew you were right there. Um, It says pleasant, laid back, and accommodating. They are motivated by a need to keep the peace, merge with others, and avoid conflict. Yeah, so I think maybe uh, there's not a lot of, like, clear negatives in that description, but maybe the negative parts of nine are just, like, um, being conflict avoidant, which I 100% am. I do not like... um, I think it's like indecisiveness is probably like a a trait of nines um, because they just want to be on both sides. Like they want everyone to be happy and be nice. Yeah. Probably taking like a firm stance might be. I think, I don't think maybe not. Yeah. I don't think I'm indecisive. Like I'm very decisive about how I feel. Um, (laughs) But yeah, but like the peacemaker part, like I, I don't want to have an argument with someone. I don't want to get into a political conversation with someone. I don't want to break up with someone, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I don't like those conversations. And then for you, what are your stress and security numbers? Yeah, so mine, um, considering that I think that I'm a four, I would be a two in stress and a one in security. Um, So, and yours was... Okay, nine and six. So I in – sorry, I keep having to go back and forth in my notes here. It's, get, it's getting tricky, folks. <laughs> um, so a two in stress. So two is the helper. Um, they are warm, caring, and giving. They are motivated by a need to be loved and needed and to avoid acknowledging their own needs. So when I – am stressed I prefer to sweep my issues under the rug and just focus on other people I think <laughs> I think that's how that would I think that's how I would describe that yeah type um basically just like don't worry about me I'm here to help you instead um and in security I am a one which this kind of like surprised me a little bit because one is the perfectionist. So apparently when I'm thriving and doing my best, I'm ethical, dedicated and reliable, uh, motivated by a desire to live the right way and improve the world and avoid fault and blame. So I don't know. I'm like, that's interesting. Um, I didn't think that I was like a perfectionist, but yeah, I think, I think the connotation that comes along with perfectionists a lot of the time is being like very type A or um, like very organized or very on time and whatever. And I know you wouldn't say those are your defining um, qualities, mm-hmm. but I think really at the heart of it, and maybe we'll get into this when we get into the one, I could be wrong, but a lot of um, perfectionist tendencies are really just like a desire to want to do things the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes that can actually lead people, um, to like inactivity or putting things off or 
like not starting something because you just want to do it right. And yeah. um, like that's kind of what I struggled with for a long time was I thought I was a one or I thought I was that perfectionist personality for so long because I am like an on time person. I am a very organized person. Um, and a lot of those things that are commonly associated with being a perfectionist. But what I found was I'm really not a perfectionist because I value getting things done over getting it done right. I'd rather get a 90% and get it done today than get 100% two years from now. Yeah. See, and that makes sense then. That resonates with me because I am that person that like if it takes me 25 years to perfect something, I would rather it – I would rather take that route than – do it the fast, hard, easy way because not saying that you take the fast, hard, you know, easy. Well, I got it done. You get it done and you get it done well also. But you know what I mean? Like I do prefer to take the slower route or whatever it may be, but I'm also very critical of things. So maybe that's the perfectionist too is like, um, you know, the type four in me feels, you know, I'm creative, but I'm also just like, feel like I'm misunderstood. Um, which probably then, like you said, leads to unproductivity because I just, I want things to be such, you know, perceived in such a certain way that if it's not exactly how you want it, if I can't achieve that, that's then I I just don't want it at all. You know, if I can't achieve what I imagine it being, then I, I'm like, it, it's debilitating. (laughs) And I'm just like, it's good enough. It's a little crooked, but I got it done. I got the shelf up. You're like, it's up. And I'm like, no. (laughs) Yeah. I can't. Which like, I, again, I, it's not like I just (laughs) do things haphazardly all the time. Exactly. I don't want it to sound like I'm saying that Mackenzie's just reckless. She's just doing things left and right. Cause that's not it either. Yeah. Um, so getting into the last part of the, I guess, nuances of each type is the section on the deadly sins of each type. And I'm not going to lie. I felt a little called out <laughs> by this section. I I called like, out. I was like, oh, I didn't know this was the route that we were taking today. Um, I know. I was listening to this. I was like, oh, so we bu- we all sinners up in here. Okay. I mean, I knew it, but I didn't know you had to call me out like that. <laughs> yeah. So um, they uh, talk about how a lot of these um, deadly sins, so to speak, which sounds a little dramatic, and they acknowledge that in the book, um, are kind of tied <laughs> to experiences from our childhood and how it can affect our relationships and our work and our spiritual development. So one of the quotes that I enjoyed said, sins are fixations that prevent the energy of life, God's love, from flowing freely. They are self-centered blockades that cuts us off from God and hence our own authentic potential. And I think whether you're spiritual or not spiritual, um, we all can definitely recognize that there are, you know, those fixations in our life that prevent us from living potential, whatever area that is. Everyone has a vice of some sort. Um, whether you know what that is or not. So, yeah. And then um, you have another quote too, I see. Yeah. So the one that I really enjoyed, because like I said, I felt so called out by this. And I was like, <laughs> I don't need you to be telling me all the worst things about myself. And I'll <laughs> I'll kind of explain them in a minute and you'll, you'll see why. I was like, all right, ouch. 
But one of the quotes that I enjoyed from this chapter said, everyone is screwed up, broken, clingy, and scared. So there's no sense in wanting to be differently screwed up than you already are. Which I enjoyed. (laughs) Because all nine, like I said before, all nine of the types have negative qualities. So like I read mine and I'm like, um, wow, okay, that's like a big insult. But then I read, I go down and read Sierra's and I'm like, wouldn't want to be that person. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, that- I know you read all of them and then you're like, oh, okay. All right. Well, at least I'm not that one. I guess I can, <laughs> I guess I can take what I'm given. Yeah. Like they all have <laughs> their own kind of thing. So my deadly sin is deceit. And the description reads, Threes value appearance over substance, abandoning their true selves to project a false, crowd-pleasing image. Threes buy their own performance and deceive themselves into believing they are their persona. I'm like, the end just cuts. They even, like, she even believes her own fake performance. You just, you just got an alter ego over here that you wholeheartedly believe in. I'm like, do I think I'm an amazing singer? Yes. Did you need to call me out like that? No. <laughs> Let me keep believing that I might get a record deal one day. Okay. <laughs> I'm pretty good when I listen to myself in the car. And yeah, I do believe it. <laughs> mine. Okay. So mine is envy. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, it says fours believe they are missing something essential <laughs> without which they will never be complete. They envy what they perceive to be the wholeness and happiness of others, which just sounds so depressing. It sounds so dramatic, like Shakespearean, I'm just going to poison myself <laughs> kind of vibes. <laughs> I mean, but honestly, though, it's, it's again, t- going back to the, like, just being debilitated by, you know, not being perfect. It's like, I, I can resonate with that. I really can yeah, so none of them. Envious. <laughs> I'm just envious. Uh, oh, yeah. I I don't know. There's none that I want to. I don't want to be mine, Um, but I don't want to be anyone else's either. So <laughs> I guess it's just stealing. And it's important to note that, like, everyone has their thing. But also, this is, like, the worst part of yourself and personality. Exactly. And, Nobody like, wants to resonate with this. Yeah, and it doesn't also mean that this is who you are 100% of the time. It's not like, well, Mackenzie's just fake all the time, and Sierra's a depressed, like, lonely weirdo. You know what I mean? (laughs) It just means, like, maybe on my worst day, I'm really trying to please other people instead of saying true to myself. And maybe on your worst day, you're really envying others instead of focusing on what you've got. Yes, correct. And that's our worst day. And that's okay because we all kind of have that dark side of ourselves. So I'm really interested to get into um, our chapters. It's kind of like hard to not peek because I have the physical copy to like peek to my chapter to read it. But mm-hmm. I haven't. Um, but I'm sure I'm going to have no to. No skipping ahead. Yeah. I'm going to have to confront um, some things about myself when I get there. Yeah. But the next chapter, um, chapter three, which is the last one we did for this round, is um, the very first type that we dive into, which is type eight. Um, and it's called the challenger. Um, <clears throat> some of the qualities, I just kind of took some random notes here. 
Um, again, I have the audiobook version. So I, you know, oftentimes took notes and did not um, quote word for word, but um, just some things that like I noticed. And again, some of these um, notes that I took are going to be, you know, some of the worst parts of type eight. Um, and some are going to be some of the best types of type eight. So again, listen to this with a grain of salt. Um, but some of the things I noted were that type eights are fiery, larger than life, and like have intense energy. Um, they're often leaders. They're straight talkers. They're those people that like really believe in like black and white kind of things, you know, right and wrong. Yes. And no good and bad. Um, they're comfortable with confrontation and which I know Mackenzie and I are not these people. Like we don't really fight or argue or like that kind of thing. So these are the people that are going to be advocates for, um, justice and truth. Um, and do you have anything you want to add? Yeah. Um, I mean, all of what you just said is definitely true, but, something interesting about the eight to note is I, for a while, I wasn't sure if I was an eight or a three. So those were the two numbers that I was kind of struggling with. And it wasn't until I like learned more about the eight that I decided I was more of a three. Um, and that's like, I can, I can definitely resonate with kind of the, um, fieriness and the extremism like I am very like hot and cold with things like either I don't care at all or I'm like really into it and I'm gonna really passionate yeah really go ham on it um and those kind of qualities I um resonate with but I think from my reading it seems like one of the real like cruxes of this personality type is the conflict is connection and intimacy like they love conflict they actually seek it out to get close to others and that is like absolutely not true for me yeah and I'm like if that's a requirement count me out of the club kind of thing mm-hmm. um and yeah and and threes are kind of the complete opposite in that they actually will kind of conform to different groups and different relationships to fit the need of that relationship over conflict not I'm not like a never gonna conflict with anyone or speak up about things but I'm definitely not the one that's gonna start an argument at the Thanksgiving table kind of girl yeah which that was something that kind of shook me (laughs) if, (laughs) if you will when I was listening um was that whole thought of conflict being a means of like connection and intimacy with a type eight. I was like, that is so odd to me, but it also (laughs) touches on that in the book. I mean, he very clearly says, um, you know, other people are not going to understand this about you. And I'm like, yeah, here I am over here being a four. Like (laughs) what the heck? Yeah. That doesn't make any sense to me, but you know, when you, if you know someone who is like this or when you kind of dive into this type, you know, I, I get it. I understand it after reading more listening um, rather, but um, at first, you know, glance or first listen, I was like, huh? Yeah. I get like, maybe, I feel like maybe the way that some people like 
would describe this about themselves, eights would describe themselves in a way that like sounds better. Like if they were to make a dating profile, for example, I don't think anyone's going to say conflict is my favorite form of intimacy, but (laughs) they might be that person that says like, like love witty banter or something like that. Someone that's going to like snap back. Someone that's like, you have to match my level. Yeah. You know, come back you know like or like you know what I mean I, I don't know how to word it but if again with your dating profile scenario someone who's like I'm gonna give it to you so you better be able to you gotta it dish back. it out yeah yeah I'm gonna dish it out so please dish it back to me like this yeah. is what type eight is like they love it they live for it yeah which I again I'm too I, sensitive for that I, I'm like <laughs> um no don't please don't that I you're gonna hurt my feelings (laughs) see like I again I still resonate with some of the qualities of the eight but I think it just has a little bit too much of that bull energy for me Mm -hmm. um because I do enjoy like the banter but like once you cut too deep and actually call me out or like actually want to have a conflict and like talk about something serious and like fight about it then I'm gonna like retreat quickly yeah. Like I straight up not having a good time. So <laughs> I, I don't love that part of the eighth. Not like, not like I don't love eights, but I'm just saying that's the part that I think it's just not count- you. Yeah. That's the part that counts me out. Um, but yeah. it was really hard to think about eights that I know in my life, like off the top of my head. Yeah, me too. I, Honestly, nothing against eights, but I don't think that eights and I are BFFs. Like, we're not – I think I appreciate them because, like it says, um, one of the things that eights are are, like, advocates for, like, truth and justice and peace and, you know, the right thing, Um, which I can admire and I love that. But I don't know that I'm – you know, I lean more towards just – like not being in the middle of conflict or confrontation. And so even when it comes to matters of justice, I'm not, you know, willingly stepping forth, um, which again, sometimes I'm envious because that's my um, sin apparently Um, of those people. Like I'm envious that there are people out there that will step out and do that kind of stuff. But like, that's just not me. So I don't know that I have very many close people in my life that are eights. Yeah. I I can see certain qualities from the eight and certain people around me, but they're like more distant people. They're not um, people in my close circle. And so it's hard to really say if they're an eight or not, because I don't know if I know the full scope of their being to label them an eight. Um, Yeah. But yeah, it was it was interesting to touch on the eights and kind of get things started. Um, and then they kind of include something, some like fun facts in each chapter about each type. And so um, kind of the last notes they talked about with type eight were that female eights are typically very misunderstood in the workplace just because they do bring a lot of that energy, which is typically rewarded for males um, because that's what's expected of them. But when it comes from a a female, um, it can be perceived as like being too much or overbearing. And Mm -hmm. um, 
They also noted that they are inspiring when they are spiritually mature and uncompromising when not kind of like my way or the highway type of people. And then two famous uh, eights, which this is all just perceived from these Enneagram experts, not self-reported. This is not confirmed. Um, is Muhammad Ali and uh, Martin Luther King, which is interesting because I saw Muhammad Ali listed as a three. Um, but the quote, they included some quotes from Muhammad Ali in the book, which definitely gave off eight vibes. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I can see both. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. Them mentioning that about females, like female eights in the workplace, because it just seemed kind of like a double standard type of thing, which we know that that happens like we like are fully aware, but it just kind of seemed like eights especially are the ones that get the brunt of this like, you know, treatment. So all power to you if you are a female eight out there. Yeah, definitely. Thank you guys for tuning in today for the first installment of our fall book club, reading the road back to you and Enneagram journey to self-discovery today. We cover chapters one through three and next week we'll be tackling the next three chapters in the book. So four, five, and six tune in next week to hear our hot takes on the book.